Good day. I'm John Kingston, the editor-at-large at FreightWaves. Welcome to the Global Trade Tech Summit Fireside Chat, the latest one that we're doing here. My guest today is Gerald Matman, who I know better as Jerry Matman, my former fraternity brother at Phi Kappa Psi at Washington and Lee. So there is that full disclosure of a personal contact. But more importantly than that, Jerry is a senior partner at SafeHearth Shaw in Chicago. Jerry has specialized in employment and labor law for his entire career. And with COVID-19, it raises a whole raft of issues. Issues uh, that we really haven't seen before. At least I don't think we've seen before. So, Jerry, welcome to the, our welcome to our summit. Oh, thanks so much. I'm glad to be here and uh, very happy to talk on this subject. And Jerry, I do want to note that, as you said, you have among your clients, you do have some big logistics companies, and so therefore you're well versed in this industry. Is there anything that you've done in the last 30, 40 years that has prepared you for these days? Nothing. I've never seen the world the way it's been turned upside down. I thought I had seen everything, and then uh, COVID occurred, and I've worked harder and longer hours to assist employers with all the challenges and the changing playing field that they find themselves on today. It's been an extraordinary time. So how big is a potential pitfall for employers these days? The, the risk the risk level must be at you know DEFCON 9 right now. I'm sure you're probably advising your clients that, or, or maybe it's a little more nuanced than that. A little more nuanced. There's a theoretical risk and there's a practical risk. And the theoretical risk is that uh, there are new obligations, new duties that employers have in terms of what COVID presents safety, the way in which people are paid, the way in which people work, and the interaction between laws that uh, provide rights to workers and foist obligations upon employers. And then the practical world in which we live in the middle of a presidential election and a possible changeover in the Congress and power in uh, Washington, D.C., is you have a perfect storm where Plaintiffs' lawyers uh, and their clients uh, are short of cash. A lot of unemployed people, which prompts more lawsuits. A lot of plaintiffs' lawyers looking for new targets of opportunity. Uh, legislatures, uh, executive officials enacting laws and regulations that provide more rights to employees and uh, defenses that had been established over the last decade and came to fruition due to Supreme Court rulings over the last three years are now uh, kind of at uh, risk in terms of whether or not uh, a changeover in Washington, D.C. will tilt the balance of power and result in more pro-worker uh, legislation. So it's a very vexing, challenging time to be an employer and to be involved in legal compliance. You know, it's interesting. I was reading, you know, your, your firm has published a lot on this issue and I was reading some piece, maybe you did it or one of your one of your colleagues. And there was a reference to a lawsuit filed like March 18th. And I thought, really, the world didn't fully grasp. I don't really think the pandemic grabbed the U.S. until around March 8th or March 9th. And already a lawsuit had been filed by March 18th. We uh, created a COVID task force of lawyers uh, from uh, East Coast to West Coast, and we did two things. We created a spreadsheet of all new laws and regulations, started out at one page. It's now up to 800 pages. And we tracked every lawsuit, and that's over 1,000. And these are just COVID-related developments. And so... Uh, 
what happened is at the local level, state level, federal level, a series of laws and regulations were passed. And so if you're a nationwide logistics company, you've got a bit of a patchwork quilt in front of you in terms of all the duties and requirements. A great example would be leave and special leave of absence uh, requirements uh, that are afforded in towns, in counties, and in states. And so uh, keeping up with that for an HR director or a business team running a company is more than a full-time job. It's an incredible job to stay ahead of it all. Now, you did a piece where you laid out sort of, I guess I'll call them five principles, but kind of five basic guidelines that companies should follow, keep in mind, however you want to describe it. Let's kind of go through some of them. The first seemed kind of self-evident. You called it a good sense of common sense. Can you describe that? Sure. Um, remember that any personnel decision you make, anything you do in this day and age has to pass the raw tuna test, uh, the social media test. How does this look to your customers? How does this look to your employees? How does it look to an outsider looking in at your business when there's a legal claim? And good common sense, fairness, judgment, measured responses, trying to do the right thing might not be legally required, but it's the winning ingredients to be able to demonstrate that you as a business are a good corporate citizen and you shouldn't have to be paying money to people who sue you. And so the fundamental HR blocking and tackling of doing the right thing pays incredible dividends in this time of stress. Now, the second one was one where I think that you wanted to make sure that an individual lawsuit doesn't turn into a giant lawsuit. In other words, doesn't turn into a class action because it was described as a solid understanding of class certification standards. Sure. In this day and age, what plaintiff's attorneys are trying to do is turn small disputes into big disputes because that's where they can leverage and get money where they put risk uh, on top of an executive team or a company in terms of big payouts. And so diffusing a problem while it's small and before it turns into a big problem has lots to do with saving money and avoiding huge claims because the people on what we call the other side of the V, the people that bring the lawsuits, they're constantly trying to enlarge the claim and impact as many people as possible. All right. Now, it's the, uh, employers aren't out there completely naked, and that goes to your third point, which is you said they need that employers need an understanding of various laws that shield employers from liability. My understanding is that some of those laws are being created even as we speak, uh, maybe not on a federal level, but on a state level. How protected do you think employers may find themselves? Well, uh, it is different in different states different for different industries and for uh, types of claims. So for instance, if you are in the healthcare industry or in the first uh, responder or you're treating people with COVID, that's probably one end of the spectrum with the greatest amount of immunity where legislatures have lined up and said it makes good sense from a public policy standpoint to grant immunity in those situations. At the other end of the spectrum are for-profit companies out there uh, that are doing nothing other than what they're supposed to do uh, in the eyes maybe of the government, nothing special, but they're employing people. And the notion is just because COVID has struck, 
doesn't mean that you shouldn't be liable for the general duty to have a safe workplace. That's existed since 1972, a duty to have it. And so, for instance, in South Carolina, there's a lot of immunity. In California, there's virtually no um, immunity. And so the only way that's going to be solved is on the federal level. And right now on the federal level, there is a roadblock between the Democrats and Republicans trying to impose immunity. So going forward, I think the best way to make decisions, if you're a company, is assume there is no immunity. Try to make the best, most measured and sound business decisions you can on the theory that those are the best offenses if you're challenged. The fourth one is one that I don't think I can really describe. I can, well, I, I read it several times, but I thought I'd let you describe the whole thing. A sense of creativity relative to applicable legal standards. How would you describe that? Well, just like COVID has required businesses to innovate and adapt, what's going on in courthouses is the same sort of thing. And so defenses that might not have worked in the past may well work now. And so the issue of we had to lay off, for instance, 80% of our workforce, we had to do it quickly to survive and to be able to support the families of folks who continued to work here might have been irrelevant prior to COVID now in the courtroom in America. And when you're having judges or plaintiffs or juries look at these issues, a very creative outside the box thinking, in my experience, has been uh, the winning formula for these cases. What's a great example? Plaintiff's lawyers are very short on cash now. They're tending to settle their cases, and they can be settled much cheaper today than before COVID because of cash flow issues. And so I've also been able to say, we'll settle, but we're going to pay it uh, one month at a time over the next 10 months and stage the payments. So the old way of doing business, even in the courthouse, has changed completely. There's been a revolution in the way in which cases are brought and defended. And these might be lawsuits that had nothing to do with COVID, but that were already a company might be combating. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. All sorts, fifth, all varieties. And then the fifth one really, I think, sums up kind of everything you said in the first four, thoughtful policies and documented efforts to comply. It seems like everything you've spoken here about leads up to that. It, 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 in certain respects, it's intuitive, it's common sense, but the best way in which to protect an organization, especially when it comes to claims brought by employees, which basically are 20% of the lawsuits in America, are what I would call workplace due process. Do the employees know the rules? Does the employer um interpret and apply the rules consistently and fairly? And would you want to be heard and treated the same way if the tables were turned and you were the so-called recipient of the employer's decision? And so workplace due process, doing the right thing and doing it in a fair uh, way tends to be at all times the best possible defense to these sorts of problems. Well, let's talk about logistics companies specifically. As I mentioned earlier, you have represented many of them. They have a unique situation here in that, quite frankly, the demand for their services, I'm sure some of them suffered a, a drop, but there's certainly a lot of what they do is frontline stuff. 
They've got workers that are, uh, if they're truck, truckload carriers or LTL carriers, they're employees. But if they're a 3PL, they're hiring a lot of uh, outside independent owner operators. Uh, are there unique situations or unique legal pitfalls for 3PLs and truckload carriers uh, that maybe are you're not finding for other companies? What are some of their, their biggest concerns right now? In the industry, the use of independent contractor agreements is probably greater than in any other industry. And having the best possible agreement that uh, tracks on paper what the company actually does in terms of its interrelationship with and treatment of the independent contractor is all important because employees have many, many rights, independent contractors have less rights. And so respecting that line and who you label as an independent contractor, you truly treat as an independent contractor, uh, certainly can pay dividends in this industry, both in terms of labor costs and in terms of litigation costs. That's the number one pressure point. And typically plaintiff's lawyers challenging the label saying you might label them as an independent contractor, but the way you treat them, they cross the line into an employer-employee relationship. The next area would be discrimination, both gender discrimination and race discrimination, both on onboarding, promotions, and in the COVID area, uh, layoffs. Uh, who are we keeping and why are we keeping them and being able to articulate objective measures uh, of why employment decisions are based on those objective factors rather than subjective ones, that is an area where the industry has been attacked and sued quite often. Third area would be wage and hour, and that's more a function of independent contractor classification, but 20% um, of lawsuits in America involve workplace issues, and 90% of those lawsuits uh, involve wage and hour issues. So how you pay and compensate people is the number one pressure point when it comes to litigation. There was another quote by uh, one of your colleagues about something to the effect of that there's a whole new area of employment issues or potential legal uh, legal pitfalls, which would involve interaction in the office over, let's say, the wearing of a mask, over coming too close, over not social distancing. Again, to your earlier point, something they've never had to deal with before. Uh, is there any kind of advice that you'd give now on that sort of issue? Well, unfortunately, the law has not caught up to the reality of the workplace. And the law really doesn't answer the question of, do I have the right uh, to show up at the workplace with a mask that has a political slogan, that has a slogan involving uh, social issues, gay rights, Black Lives Matter, and the like? What happens if a customer doesn't want to be serviced by or interact with that employee wearing the mask? What if a coworker objects to that person's mask? And the old rule basically is you can do whatever you want to do on your own time, but when you come into my workplace, I pay you to work. And so anything that you do that detracts from the ability of yourself or others to work that causes a commotion is grounds for me to say, get back to work and stop doing what you were doing. Easy to say, hard to do. And the issue of whether or not I can send an email 
to uh, my coworkers supporting a social cause, whether I can do it on company time, all is on the outer frontier of the law right now. And so those lawsuits are being brought. There's a Black Lives Matter lawsuit in Boston against Whole Foods right now over the ability of cashiers to wear those masks while waiting on customers. So the rules have yet to be written by the courts, but basically I advise employers, again, a measured approach, a neutral approach that basically allows employees to espouse the beliefs they do so long as it doesn't interfere with their uh, duty to work and to service customers. Are you finding that your clients are, I hate to use the word scrambling, but are they uh, adapting to the reality that this is a whole new world and that COVID litigation is is something that might be with them for quite some time? And, And are they changing practices as a result? They're changing their practices. They're battening down the hatches, and COVID litigation is going to be with us for the next five to seven years because of the tail of litigation. If you think of litigation as a bell jar curve, we're just starting on the uh, front end of the upward uh, curve. And so I think the majority of the litigation is going to be filed in the first and second quarters of 2021. We have a long way to go to get through it all. Yeah, it's funny you say uh, five to seven years. I, you, know, you think you think of asbestos litigation that's going on, you know, twenty or twenty-five years. It's almost like five to seven years might almost be a short duration compared to some other types of battles. Are you finding that uh, that companies, whether they're logistics companies or just your clients in general, are there new outside consulting firms beyond a law firm like yourself that have been set up to help people get through this and to to walk them through the the, the issues that they may find? Well, I've seen a cottages industry uh, crop up overnight on dealing with COVID issues, uh, both online issues and safety issues. And so health and consulting companies that specialize in safe workplaces are much in demand right now. I'd say that's the number one area. On the five to seven year issue, another thing that's occurred is courthouses are closed down. Uh, Judges don't want me going into court, and so there is a time lag and a delay just in terms of justice and how long things take. And so the new reality of dealing with these issues and how to deal with it and to uh, hire consultants who can help, there are a lot of companies experimenting and dipping their big toes into that area because they're, they're in a situation they've never been in before, and they don't have health and safety consultants on staff. And one of the pressure points is providing a safe workplace and making sure that um, COVID's not spreading through your workplace. And there have been plenty of lawsuits that have been filed, the most famous of which are the meatpacking plants in South Dakota and Iowa, where 90 to 150 workers caught COVID. And the theory now in the lawsuit is you, the employer, could have prevented that. You know, you think about your, your firm, you know, you're a big firm, you're really well known in this field, your clients uh, have hired one of the best. But you think about in the, the, the world of trucking or logistics, there's so many small trucking, truckload carriers, so many small 3PLs, you wonder what the quality of legal advice they're getting, because their attorneys are probably a lot smaller. Is, is that a real concern for the industry as a whole? 
Well, in this world, you get what you pay for, and then uh, a smaller investment of resources in compliance dollars. Uh, typically, that compliance is not as deep and robust as it might be if it's a larger investment. But the way I look at it and what I've experienced over time is a dollar spent on legal compliance usually generates a much better return because if you get sued and you have to defend that lawsuit, that $1 is going to turn into $100 pretty quickly quickly. So it's money well spent to try and stay ahead of the curve and avoid these problems so that you don't have to deal with the bigger problems that come down the road when there's that lawsuit. Well, if it's going to be five to seven years, Jerry, we can certainly have you back to talk about how the, the course of litigation is going or has gone. So well, I do want to thank to you. Have... Great. I, I do want to thank you. And hopefully we can do this in person someday. So, I hope so too. Uh, maybe, maybe McCormick Place in Chicago. So I do want to thank Jerry Mammon of Safe Ross Shaw for joining us today. He's a senior partner at the firm talking about COVID-related litigation that might affect the transportation and logistics segment. I'm John Kingston, the uh, editor-at-large for FreightWaves. Join us again here on the, the next installment or the next uh, fireside chat of the Global Trade Tech Summit. Thank you.